bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 24, 2012. I will start today's podcast with a review of last week's Joint Committee hearing on the Volcker Rule. I also want to touch on two points of interest in the report that was released last week by the President's Council on Jobs and Competitiveness. Then I also have a few comments about what you might want to look for in President Obama's State of the Union tonight. Turning to our New Market Tax Credit segment, I have good news to share from Indiana, where a state New Market Tax Credit was proposed in the state's legislature. In our Low Income Tax Credit section, I have several items. I'll review the provisions of a bill introduced in Congress earlier this month that provide disaster rebuilding assistance in the form of increased low-income housing tax credit caps. Next, I'll discuss provisions of interest to the affordable housing community that are in Governor Andrew Cuomo's proposed budget for 2012-2013. Obviously, this is of interest to those who do business in New York. One of the key items in New York is a doubling of the New York State low-income housing tax credit. I also will share an update on the situation in California where the affordable housing community is regrouping and working to adjust to the loss of critical funding from redevelopment agencies. In our historic tax credit section, I'm going to discuss the amicus brief that was filed by the Real Estate Roundtable in the historic Boardwalk Hall court case. And finally, in our renewable energy segment, I'll share the findings of a report that was released last week This report found that the Department of Defense could generate 7,000 megawatts of solar energy on four of its military bases located in the California desert. That's roughly equivalent, you'll be surprised here, to the output of seven, yes, seven nuclear power plants. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, as I mentioned last week, a joint hearing was held by two financial services subcommittees to discuss the proposed Volcker Rule and its impact on the economy, jobs, business, and investors. During the hearing, members of the subcommittees asked federal regulators about the costs of complying with the regulations as well as perceived benefits that will result from the regulations. As regular listeners will recall, last year regulators released a draft proposal of the Volcker Rule, and then they asked for public comment. When concerns were expressed about the original comment deadline in January, regulators gave the financial community an additional month to submit comments. Specifically, they extended the comment window to February 13th of this year. In his opening statement, Representative Neugebauer suggested moving the implementation deadline and he suggested re-proposing the vocal rule after comments were received. In later exchanges between committee members and the panel, several of the witnesses indicated that they were willing to consider those kinds of adjustments and deferrals. However, they were clear that any such adjustments would depend on the type and content of comments they receive. Once again, comments on the proposed Boca Rule are due no later than February 13th. I encourage those in the affordable housing community 
as well as those involved in community development and renewable energy, to consider submitting comments on the rule because it's certain to have significant implications for the tax credit equity markets in the years to come. Those implications relate to the ability of banks to continue as investors, for banks to continue as sponsors, as well as for banks to serve as guarantors and provide other services to tax credit equity funds. Additionally, the Novogratic Loan Composing Tax Credit Working Group, New Market Tax Credit Working Group, and Renewable Energy Working Group are all drafting comments to submit to regulators. Now, if you'd like to find copies of the witnesses' prepared testimony from last week's hearing, you can find it under the Volcker Rule Hot Topics page at novaco.com. Now, also last week, the Council on Jobs and Competitiveness, this is a council formed by President Obama, released a set of recommendations to improve long-term competitiveness. The proposals suggest investing in education, building and manufacturing energy, and reforming regulatory and corporate tax systems. Now, President Obama created the Jobs Council with the goal of developing a set of recommendations to create jobs in the short run and improve the nation's competitiveness over the long run. There are two recommendations in the report of specific interest to our podcast listeners. First, the report calls for comprehensive tax reform. The Job Council support measures to move from a corporate income tax system with a higher rate and narrow base to one with a broader tax base and a lower overall rate. Basically, lower the rate, broaden the base. The group's key recommendations will sound familiar to regular listeners. As I just said, broaden the corporate tax base, lower the overall corporate tax rate to internationally competitive levels, consider a territorial system of corporate taxation, and create a process with teeth to forge consensus on tax reform. The second recommendation of interest to listeners is a call to extend the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. The Council notes, or believes, that making the R&D tax credit permanent and extending production tax credits for renewable energy will promote innovation and investment. The second recommendation was welcomed by the renewable energy community, something you might expect. Denise Bode, CEO of the American Wind Energy Association, issued a statement on the report's endorsement of extending the production tax credit. The statement said, and I quote, This endorsement of an extension for wind energy's key production tax credit is yet another indication of how vital wind power has become as a source of American jobs and how important fast action on the PTC, production tax credit, is to keeping this economic success story going, close quote. Also, as most listeners know, President Obama is scheduled to deliver his annual State of the Union address to a joint session of Congress this evening. Listeners to this podcast, I expect to be listening closely for references to certain topics. On the housing front, I'm wondering, as long as a lot of our listeners, how specifically will President Obama discuss the housing crisis? When I say how specifically, I'm wondering, will he mention the conversion, for instance, of existing first sale housing to rental? I also wonder if I give any insights as to the levels of HUD funding. On the energy front, I do expect to hear references to alternative energy jobs. However, I don't know if we'll get a specific mention of extension of the production tax credit or the Section 1603 program. On a broader front, I wonder what President Obama will say about tax reform. Will he discuss corporate tax reform, comprehensive tax reform, 
Will they discuss individual tax reform? Will they discuss them all in the same area this day of the Union Address? Will they break them out? I also invite you to follow me on Twitter, as I will be live-tweeting the State of the Union Address tomorrow. And I'll be tweeting any remarks that I find of specific interest to our typical podcast listener. I'll also discuss any relevant proposals or points in next week's podcast. Now, the policy details behind the programs, policies, and initiatives that are discussed in the present State of the Union Address will be available when the President releases his fiscal year 2013 budget. As such, you might be wondering, when will that happen? Well, the White House announced yesterday that it would release its fiscal year 13 budget on February 13th. That's a week later than the original expected release date of February 6th. The need to finalize decisions and technical details of the document is the reason cited by the White House for the delay. Now, naturally, we'll keep you updated as soon as the budget is released. In new market tax credit news... This week, I'm headed to San Diego, California for the Novogratic New Market Tax Credit Conference. At the time of this recording, we already had over 530 community development professionals registered. They'll be coming to San Diego for a full agenda of education and networking. Now, there's still time to join us. Just go to www.novoco.com backslash events. Now, turning to the state of Indiana, legislation to create an Indiana State New Market Tax Credit was introduced in the state's General Assembly earlier this month. The bill is HB 1248, and it would establish a program called the New Markets Job Growth Tax Credit. The credit would be administered by the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. In its proposed form, the credit is very similar to the federal New Market Tax Credit program. Under the state program, the credit would be equal to 39% of the purchase price of a qualified investment and it would be claimed over seven years. Taxpayers would also have the option to carry forward their excess credits for up to five years. The bill does cap the program to $20 million annually with a $10 million credit cap per transaction. If the bill passes, it would take effect in January 2013. We'll continue to track H.R. 1248 as it moves through the Indiana Legislature. So stay tuned for future updates. In the meantime, you can check the status of state new market tax credit programs across the country by visiting www.newmarketscredits.com. In low-composing tax credit news, states that were hit last year by Hurricane Irene or Tropical Storm Lee may receive disaster rebuilding assistance in the form of increased low-composing tax credit caps. On January 10th, Congressman Christopher Gibson and Tom Reed of New York introduced H.R. 3769, the Irene and Lee Tax Relief Storm Recovery Act. The bill would raise the long-closing tax credit ceiling of each state that includes any portion of the Irene-Lee disaster area. The increase would be for calendar years 2012 through 2014. Ten flood-damaged states would qualify, and they'd receive an additional 50% of their annual long-closing tax credit allocation. For New York, for instance, that's $20 million, given the state's approximately $40 million annual allocation. In addition, properties located in the disaster area that are placed in service during those years would be treated as difficult development areas under the bill. H.R. 3769 was referred to the Committee of Jurisdiction, which is the House Ways and Means Committee. 
Now keep tuning in for updates as the bill progresses through Congress. You can also find out whether a bill is gaining support among members of Congress by checking our federal legislation tracker in the monthly Journal of Tax Credits. You can also check online at www.novaco.com backslash hot topics. Turning to another New York matter, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo presented his proposed 2012-2013 executive budget to the legislature. It happened on January 17th. The budget is $132.5 billion, and it included several allotments for state affordable housing programs. The budget proposes, one, holding the low-income housing trust fund steady at $32.2 million, two, holding the Homes for Working Families program also steady at $7 million, three, it increases the Rural Rental Assistance Program to $19.6 million from $50 million, four, it eliminates funding for the state's Neighborhood Preservation Program and Rural Preservation Program. And five, maybe of most significance to many of our listeners, allocates an additional $8 million to the state Long Housing Tax Credit Program for each of the next five years. Overall, the executive budget recommends $291.71 million for the Division of Housing Community Renewal. Now, this is a decrease of approximately $22 million from last year's budget. Most of the decrease is due to the elimination, as I referenced above, of the rural and neighborhood preservation programs, as well as a reduction in federal authority for the small cities community development block grant program. The state legislature will now hold joint legislative public hearings on the 2012-2013 executive budget. During those hearings, the public will be able to voice their opinions about the various proposals. Tune in to future Tax Credit Tuesday podcasts to hear about the budget as it becomes law. Now, turning to California, at the end of last year, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, the California Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of Assembly Bill 1X26. This is the bill that eliminates redevelopment agencies in the state of California. This ruling has sent waves throughout the affordable housing community as stakeholders try to determine what effect the loss of redevelopment agencies will have on affordable housing. Housing California estimated that the ruling could cost the affordable housing industry $1 billion in funding. Discussion continues on the best way to mitigate that loss of funds, and the affordable housing landscape remains quite uncertain. As stakeholders adjust to a new normal, many are wondering how the loss of the redevelopment agencies will affect low-income housing tax credit developments. At the time of this recording, the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, had not changed its competitive criteria for the low-income housing tax credit. TCAC was still giving preference to properties with the highest ratio of public funds. The redevelopment agency's dissolution shouldn't have much of an effect on properties during TCAC's first allocation round because properties applying in this round should already have their commitments from the redevelopment agencies and those commitments are unaffected by the new law. The changes, however, could or probably will affect second-round properties that had anticipated using redevelopment agency money for development. It's going to affect these properties because the law prevents redevelopment agencies from making new commitments. Right now, absent any additional legislative changes, which is certainly possible, 
I'd speculate that we'll see low-income tax credit projects with less public funding after the 2012 first LIHTC allocation round. This means that on average, projects will have fewer amenities, fewer services, and they'll be less rent skewed. And then you may also see, as a consequence, lower average per unit costs, as well as lower per unit tax credit requests. The dissolution of redevelopment agencies could affect only a small number of properties if the successor agencies are able to preserve their affordable housing set-asides. Redevelopment agencies were required to put at least 20% of their money into low and moderate income housing funds. Under SB 654, which the Senate Appropriations Committee passed last week, and this is my reference earlier to absent no additional legislation, this is an example of such possible additional legislation, under SB 654, the existing fund balances on deposit in the agency's low to moderate income housing funds would be transferred to their successor agencies. And as such, they'd get to keep that money. Right now, it's too soon to tell what the ultimate outcome will be. Now, it should be interesting to see how things do play out, and I will keep you updated on developments in future Tax Credit Tuesday podcasts. And then in the meantime, I encourage you to stay in contact with my partner, Jim Kroger, or you could also contact Thomas Stagg. They're both in our San Francisco office. They can be reached at 415-356-8000. In historic tax credit news, last week, as many of you know, we posted another amicus brief. It was related to the appeal in the historic boardwalk hall case. The document is an amicus brief filed by the Real Estate Roundtable. The amicus brief supports the appellee. In its brief, the Real Estate Roundtable distinguishes between the Economic Substance Doctrine and the Substance of Reform Doctrine. The group posits that the Economic Substance Doctrine has no application with dedicated and targeted tax credits such as the Rehabilitation Tax Credit. Moreover, the Real Estate Roundtable argues in its brief that there is economic substance in the case in question. Now, the IRS has until the end of January to file a reply brief in this case. In the meantime, the Real Estate Roundtable's amicus brief can be found, along with other documents related to the case, online at www.historictaxcredits.com. And as always, if you have any questions about the case, feel free to contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, the Department of Defense could generate 7,000 megawatts of solar energy on just four military bases located in the California desert. This, according to a study that was released by the Department of Defense's Office of Installations and Environment. Now that level of output is roughly equivalent to seven nuclear power plants. As I've discussed in previous podcasts, the Department of Defense is seeking to develop solar, wind, geothermal, and other distributed energy sources on its bases. The year-long study conducted by the consultancy ICF International looked at seven military bases in California and two in Nevada. The study found that about 96% of the surface area of the nine bases is unsuited for solar development because of military use, endangered species, and other factors. Nevertheless, the study also found that the remaining solar-compatible area is large enough to generate more than 30 times the electricity consumed by the California bases. The ICF study looked in detail at seven DOD installations 
located in California's Mojave and Colorado deserts, and two airport bases located in the Nevada desert. Most of the surface area of the installations consist of undeveloped ranges used for training and other military activities that the study found, to no surprise, were incompatible with solar facilities. In addition, ICF ruled out large portions of the base's developed areas because of the presence of cultural and biological resources, or flood, flash flood hazards and other conflicts. For each area that survived the geographic screening process, ICF looked at the technical feasibility of six alternative solar technologies and at the economic viability under private versus military ownership. The study concludes that 25,000 acres, that's 25,000 acres, are suitable for solar development, and another 100,000 acres are likely or questionably suitable for solar. ICF assumed that 100% of the suitable land and 25% of the likely or questionably suitable land would be developed for solar energy. Finally, the study found that private developers can tap the solar potential on these installations with no capital investment requirement from the Department of Defense, and that the development could yield the federal government up to $100 million a year, in revenue of course, or other benefits, such as discounted power. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Among other topics next week, I'll discuss Congressman Senator Levin's plans to reintroduce legislation this year to change the tax treatment of carried interest income. I'll also bring you an update from Missouri, where lawmakers have, once again, proposed to decrease or eliminate state tax credits, including, unfortunately, the state low-income housing tax credit and state historic tax credits. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novogratik.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novogratik.com.